All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm. <coughs> A little verklept. Um, welcome to the Bro Diallo broadcast. You know, I'm just trying to get myself together, man. I was playing gospel this morning, and it's, it kind of hits me, man. Every time I hear that song, Soldiers, by Steel Pulse, it does something to me, man. That we don't want no dictator. We don't want no tyrant. Give I back I witch doctor. Give I back I black ruler. Anyway, yeah. I, c I can't be playing that emotionally charged music. And then try to get up in front of y'all and be rational. Anyway, we started our morning off with the Bro Diallo Show. We started our morning off with uh, I Need a Roof by the Mighty Diamonds. I Need a Roof Over My Head and bread on my table. And we followed that up by Soldiers from the classic Roots Reggae debut album of the legendary group Steel Pulse, When the Soldiers Came. Things used to be irate. Things used to be nice, so nice now. Things used to be irate till the soldiers came. Uh, you know, a song about the weeping and wailing of, of uh, co uh, colonialism. All that we've lost as Africans. You know, anyway. That song, man. Anyway, you're listening to the Bro Diallo show. Oh, volume is low again. We, we back to that. We got low volume again. God damn it. Uh, I can push it to the max. To the max. How's that? Is that better? It's louder. Well, I'm just turning up my headphones. That ain't got nothing to do with the... Uh, let me know if, in the comments if we're still having issues with the volume. Um, anyway, what was I saying? Oh, this is the Bro Diallo Show on Q4 Radio, Q4.org, Q-U-E, the number four dot O-R-G. Today is June 6th, I'm June 6th, June 12th in the year of your Lord, 2013. I am broadcasting straight out of the city of Chirac, state of Illinois, in the United States of America. Cuh, cuh. You know, the over-ravaged, globally warming planet Earth in the misnamed Milky Way galaxy. I'm very happy to have you here with me. You know, we got uh, some things to get into. You know, today's show is going to be a little different. If you've been a longtime listener of today's show, um, today's show going to be a little, little, a little different. Uh, I turned it up. Some people saying the sound is fine. Some people saying the sound is still low. Which is it? It's better. Um, let me just turn up the master volume. When I turn up the master volume, it just seems like it's more feedback in my headphones. It's really not louder. Okay, I'll just go with this. The sounds fine are getting more feedback that the sound is good than uh, anyway. I turned up the master volume. I'm getting feedback in my headphones, but I'm here to suffer for y'all. I'm here to sacrifice myself for y'all. <laughs> anyway, no more delay. Where was I? Oh, I did sound intro. I told y'all where y'all listening to. <laughs> I told y'all who y'all listening to. Let's just get into uh the show today and what we want to talk about um today's show i've never really did a show on like dr umar before 
And I'm not really doing the show on Dr. Umar today, even though he's in the thumbnail of the, the, the show link and all that. It's not really Dr. Umar. But I made a comment about Dr. Umar and on social media. And uh, I get a lot of feedback from his fans and his followers and his supporters. And, you know, honestly enough, some of his supporters are people that I once worked with that I've really you know did grassroots organizing with hoping uh, work to open cooperatives with and these aren't just you know wide-eyed foaming at the mouth militants some of these Umar supporters that I know personally that I've organized with personally I help build organizations and 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 um, advance certain agendas with um, they're educated people they're engaged people there are people who I would, I'm actually genuinely surprised by their support of an individual like uh, Ifatunde, the Prince of Pan-Africanism, Fred Ham, uh, Fred Ham, uh, what did he say? Marcus Garvey's and, and, and uh, Frederick Douglass' bastard offsprings. But... I'm going to give y'all some feedback just to show y'all, let y'all get a little peek into my world off the air, off outside of the Bro Diallo show, you know, in terms of the discussions. But before I do that, I do want to know, I want to ask y'all something, because I'm also going to try to work to, because people have asked, and I have heard, you know, I'm going to start talking like Umar. I'm going to start inflating myself. People have asked, <laughs> and I have received your prayers i have received your prayers i have received your prayers and people say uh uh bro diallo you know the proletariat of playing africanism they want to know brother why don't you open your show up for questions why can't we call in uh, or link in or or why don't you do more questions and answers and i have heard your request brothers and sisters i have heard your request Brothers and sisters, I have heard your request, brothers and sisters. Therefore, I will, I will be taking more time out of the live broadcast for your questions, to respond, for you to ask questions, or for me to respond to your questions, brothers and sisters. So you will have your opportunity to speak. Your opportunity to speak will be here. You will have your opportunity to speak, brothers and sisters. You will have your opportunity to speak. <laughs> that's fun you know so yeah um but i want to ask y'all something before y'all ask me something i want to put some have y'all noticed that respectability politics has reared its ugly head that the established negro gentry the established proper uppity negroes have are reasserting themselves because i said year a few years ago Respectability politics have died with Bill Cosby. That, you know, pull your pants up. Don't speak Ebonics. And if you, if you, if you, uh, don't steal pound cake. And it died. And all those people who ran around behind Cosby and the other respectability icons just, you know, they went away. And black people, we were able to talk about conditions we were able to talk about institutional racism black folks started talking about redlining and other financial predations 
leveled against black people. They talked about the myriad of, of massacres and purges that were carried out throughout, you know, in the, in the Jim Crow era. Black people really started talking about the real policies and the real circumstances that led to black poverty, black people dwelling on the lowest socioeconomic run of society. Black people started talking about chronic disease and medical neglect and medical malpractice. I want to say something about malpractice too a little later. Remind me. And we started talking about the elites. We started talking about all the way back. Remember the 99% and the 1% during the Occupy movement? After Obama and Obama came up there with his Harvard education and his Ivy League wife and, his, and, and these Negroes got up there and didn't do nothing for nobody, we finally got the final proof we needed that the Negro elites, the proper talking, wear your pants up, no bonnet outside the house. We had finally had all the evidence. The, the integrationists had gotten to the highest seat. We had integrationist CEOs, integrationist entrepreneurs. And it seemed to me that between 20, 2008 and 2020, that the black community had finally gotten up out of this whole respectability rigmarole. But no. Now I'm observing in the community, on the streets, and on the, in the cyber world, in the world of the internet, respectability is rearing its ugly head. They didn't let Cosby out of jail. <laughs> they freed my Negro Cosby. Free my Negro Cosby. Right? And so I'm observing... In my own community, we just elected a pro-union progressive mayor. And the respectability Negroes are out here not criticizing his policies, his platforms. They're like, look at his haircut. <laughs> I literally had somebody come to me and was like, oh, your, your guy has a faux hawk. I'm like. I don't care about his hair. I'm just saying now that he's up there, he shouldn't be up there like that. And I'm like, whoa. See, it was funny when y'all were talking about Lori Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot was a meme. I even laughed about it. And it is not out of respectability because she was a respectability Negro. She was out here telling uh, uh, poor disenfranchised black kids to conduct themselves in a way that, that commerce that would allow their exploitation to comfortably proceed without obstruction. Right? And so now they're trying to rebrand respectability politics. Now they're trying to act like, oh, it's about your respecting yourself. It's, 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 <laughs> it's about carrying yourself and conducting yourself. It ain't got nothing to do with white people. It ain't got nothing to do with it. But here's the, here's the, the rub. Like, one, someone sent me a, a, a video of this young lady. There was this professional office. I believe it was a dental office, but I'm not for sure. There was this office where this black woman entrepreneur had put on her store no bonnets, no pajamas, no house shoes for the, for the dentist. And she said that the, the Internet got hold of this sign 
and was like downrating her and, and attacking her, like, how dare you? And we all remember the brother that had the restaurant and the women were drinking mimosas in his restaurant and started dancing and tried to get like a viral TikTok twerk going on in his restaurant and he shut it down. And people came out like, yeah, yeah. But here's the rub. When the woman was talking about sisters coming out and this, this, this professional facility saying, hey, no bonnets, no pajamas, no house shoes. She said, when you come out of the house and you carry yourself that way, it's a sign of depression. When you, you don't put yourself together and you don't present yourself to the world in a way that is acceptable to the world, that signifies to the world that you are willing to uphold some minimal standard of, for, for appearance, she said that is a symbol of depression. And then she just left it there. And then she went on to say, you know, don't have rollers in your hair. Don't be out here in, 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 in your onesie and your pajama pants like any other kind of way. But I'm like, whoa, if you're saying that the black people out here who don't carry themselves in a way, in a minimal standard that you deem acceptable, have a clinical diagnosis, because that's what depression is, have a psychological mental affliction, then you're literally advocating that this business discriminate against the mentally ill. You're advocating that this business has a policy of shunning and in the same breath where them same young people talk about we shouldn't shame mental illness, the black community needs to talk about mental illness, the black community needs to uh, embrace those who struggle with mental illness. In the same breath, you're saying someone who is showing the physical surface signs of depression, the physical surface signs of deep-seated trauma, a person who is reflecting outwardly what they're feeling inwardly is a problem. And she saw no contradiction in praising this woman. She saw no contradiction in praising this business owner for engaging in discrimination against individuals who are wearing their trauma and their depression on their outer body. And I'm going off of her words. I'm only talking about what she said. I'm not even giving my own. She said, when you walk out in the street, pants down around your ankles, you're not wearing your pants up. When you got on flip flops or, or, or we call them house shoes, you got on pajama pants or a big giant pajama onesie and, and, a, and a bonnet on your head, you are depressed. You ain't cute. You ain't with the shits. You are depressed. So by your own analysis, you are. So which is it? And like I said, these are the same people. These are the same people who call for removing the stigma of mental illness. So they don't mind you being mentally ill. You just got to be mentally ill the right way. There's still that contradiction there. There's still that contradiction there. 
When I first moved here to Chicago a decade ago, this is a long time ago, everybody was up in arms about sagging pants. And they were uh, 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 poster boards up, pull your pants up, respect yourself. Sagging pants were the scourge of the community. Sagging pants were the scourge of communities. And some, mostly in the South, so I mean, I don't like messing around. They started passing city ordinances. They started passing ordinances against sagging pants. And these same dignified people, these same uppity Negroes who holler black excellence, black TV and Tyler Perry, these same people who would, 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 would allow Little Wayne to get on BET, Little Wayne to go to the Grammys with his pants around the ankles. Well, he's rich. He's got a private jet. But if you on the streets, pull your pants up. And the pull your pants up, the whole pull your pants up rigmarole, it faded. It just faded. Now I'm noticing that and then the skinny jeans, but here's what's most curious about this respectability thing. It's arbitrary, it's inconsistent, and it's pretty much had been with the same undertone and set standards that were set by the dominant society. So it's a lot of black people articulating white standards and what makes white society function. And it's been going on, and I, I, I bullshit you not. And it's such a tired, tired. And somebody said in the comments, they're not depressed, they're just trifling. How do you know? How do you know? What does trifling mean? How do you know somebody in sagging pants or a bonnet is trifling? When the motherfucker in the, in, in the Armani suit. Let me tell you, it's like, like um, Amos Wilson said, when the world finally collapsed, the people doing harm in society are wearing suits. They're wearing tailored suits. The people doing harm in society are wearing black ties and tuxedos and elegant ball dresses. The people doing damage in society are not on the train in house shoes, on the subway or the L train or the bus in house shoes. They're on private jets in Bruno Armalis. So respecting yourself and self-respect is still defined in class terms. I've never seen Donald Trump, the rapist, Donald Trump, in anything less than a suit and tie. So the reality is, your respect or disrespect ain't got really nothing to do with your costume. Because bonnets are a problem, but scrungies, I see white girls, grocery stores, dentists, and scrungies. I see white girls up and down in, in cut off sweatpants. I see, you know, because like my homie told me, 
I had a good friend from Guyana. And when we'd be in New York, I'd be like, well, we got to head over to 7th Avenue. I'm going to get my uh, soy milk latte, and I have to go get my vegan muffin, and I have to go to the food co-op to get some organic bok choy. And, you know, this is a dude that used to hang out on Nostrand Ave. He used to be on Church Ave. He used to be out in the Vanderveer Co-op City. And then he'd come around me, and I'm over there on 7th Avenue. I'm in Park Slope. And he said to me, yo, yo, D, you hate white people, but you love their shit. <laughs> he said, you hate white folks, but you love their shit. You know. So what people want, what people desire, ain't say shit about who they are. And yes, it's respectable because when I'm in those lily white spaces, white people, you go into their spaces, bringing their dogs in, come into a public grocery store and pick their dog up and put the goddamn dog in the goddamn basket where other people gonna come and get that basket and put their food in there. The dog been running up and down these filthy city streets. So yeah, it is another form of anti-blackism. Because if I'm looking at anybody suspicious, if I see a young man wearing sagging pants down my block, it is less frightening to me, less disruptive to me to see an, a, a well-dressed white man in slacks and a polo shirt tucked in coming there to gentrify, to survey your community, to put liens on property. I didn't live in Park Slope. I just would go there to get the things, the finer things. Because like I said, <laughs> well, now it's different. This is back in the night. Now they got a Connecticut muffin on Nostrand Ave. You can get, you know, non-GMO grain, organic vegan muffins on Nostrand. Back in 92, you couldn't get it on Nostrand. You could get Ital on Nostrand. You can get plantain. You know, you can get soy chunks. You can get a lot of good vegan stuff on Nostrum, but what nobody's selling you, non-GMO, you know, ancient grain vegan muffins. On the, you had to go Brooklyn Heights, you know, you had to go over there. They're part of town. That's what he said. It's not my part of town. Yo, D, he's like, you know, you hate white people, but you love their shit. And I'm like, this ain't their shit. This is our shit. But I don't. I'm just saying, if you go amongst white folks, you know, and I ain't even saying, these are city white folks. You go to Kentucky, you go to Kansas, you go to Arkansas. I mean, you ain't seen barefoot, shirtless, mullets. But this is classism and class consciousness. And every generation does it. The same uncles that I have, the same uncles that are sitting down, look at these kids, they don't respect themselves. How do you know? The same kids, the same imitating white folks. Yes, yeah, see, Smith, Emil, imitating white folks, trying to keep up with the Joneses. And this black success, some black success, and black. Let me tell y'all something. Because, you know, something you don't hear. You hear a lot of stuff from back in the day, right? 
you hear a lot of stuff from back in the day where people talk about the man holding us back. And that used to be real as hell. That shit used to be real. You don't hear that as much. The man holding us back. And it's not because the man is no longer holding us back. Why don't you hear the man is holding us back? But I got two caveats for that. Because they are still holding us back. But they're not holding us back in the way that we thought they were holding us back. They're not holding us back from succeeding and achieving and integrating. They're holding us back from humanity. Thus undermining, because here's, here's the bottom line. White people, when I say white people, I'm talking about the white people responsible for such things. I'm talking about the white elites. I'm talking about the white movers and shakers. I'm not talking about the Appalachians. Right? White people don't care if we succeed as long as they define success. That's the problem with respectability. Respectability makes you more invested in your own oppression. So it's not about you being having aversion to sa sagging pants. It's not about you having aversions to bonnets. It's about your motivations for doing so. And every argument against sagging pants and bonnets is about black people's ability to maneuver and further integrate into the systems, the dominant systems. But as long as you are defining or accepting the def definition of success created by your oppressors, you will always be subordinate to them. Even if you get a billion dollars, Oprah, even if you become President Obama, even if you become CEO, even if you secure the bag and have generational wealth, if success is defined by someone else, because me, if I, if white folks were, a, just imagine for a moment, white people sending their children off to school to achieve or work towards some alien or some foreign or some subordinate definition. Because to me, success, to me, success is only defined by balance, by stability, by justice, by preservation of the ecosystem, preservation of species, biodiversity. I think if a people, if a society, if a system cannot bring those things forth, it is failed. I don't care how much wealth any individual or any group in that system has. This is a failing system on all levels in terms of justice, distribution, management of resources, in terms of education and in cultivating the youth, in terms of environment. In every respect, according to every standard imaginable, this society is a failure. Unless you define success by the standards of the oppressor. What is the GDP? The gross domestic product, how much revenue, how much profit.
How many arms? How many successful conflicts? To me, if you're in an armed engagement with another nation, with another population, you're failed. Even if you win that conflict. So you Negroes out here that are outraged by bonnets, that are outraged by sagging pants, that you have reemerged. Y'all, y'all didn't shook off the Cosby. Y'all didn't shook off the Oprah. Y'all didn't shook off Oprah was seen as being a trafficker and an ally and an asset for, for, for people like Weinstein. Oprah is discredited. Every Negro that said all we had to do was pull up our pants, take off our bonnets, speak standard English, and have the proper posture. All these Negroes who lied to us to saying that the source of our downfall, the source of our oppression, the source of our misery is our own misbehavior, our failure to live up by, to, to, to the standards set by our oppressors. Every Negro that was running that hustle from the 80s and 90s and early 2000s has been discredited and disgraced. The Obama sitting in some some uh, mansion in the whitest, most elite parts of 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 north uh, of the of the old money northeast. The Obamas are rubbing elbows with the Rothschilds, the DuPonts, the Waltons, the elite family. Even that hashtag goals family have shown to be nothing but greedy, parasitic liars. Will and Jada out here smacking and, 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 and elbowing people and acting a damn fool. So all these respectable achievement hashtag goals, Negroes have been discredited. And now <laughs> their, 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 their Pied Pipers, their underlings have ducked and, and were quiet. They ducked down and they were quiet. Because when you go to black youth, and, and let me tell you something, young people are have an innate sense of rebellion. And instead of trying to cultivate and direct that, that, that rebellious nature of the youth, that anti-status quo, we seek to break it down, to, 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 to contain it, to profit from it. So when you go to young people and say, pull your pants up to be respectable in the very society that is contaminated in a dysfunctional society, in a racist society, in a society where they think like, God damn. These 80 year olds in Congress, these 80 year olds in the Senate, that 80 year old in the White House is not doing anything to preserve the world for me and who come after me. But I'm supposed to pull my pants up so that motherfucker feels comfortable. I'm supposed to speak standard English and use proper verb tense so I could be like that. I mean, that was even when I was a young teenager and they were like, listen, you're pretty good at this academic shit. You can go on to be to the higher heights. You could achieve whatever you want to achieve. And I'm like, uh. I want liberation. Oh, stop being silly. Stop being stupid. You said I could achieve whatever I want, and you said you would support me in what I'm trying to achieve. Because whenever I got around established Negroes, I was never impressed. I was never inspired. Whenever I was around successful Negroes, and I'm throwing up air quotes for you who are listening on the radio, Whenever I was around successful Negroes, so all I'm saying is, 
we have to define what success is. And if your definition of success overlaps with the capitalists, overlaps with the colonizers, overlaps with the imperialists, overlaps with the racists, overlaps with the, the Christians and the Muslims, the Zionists, if your definition of success has too many overlaps with the oppressors, the oppressive institutions, and the oppressive individuals, elites, then fuck your definition of success. Sack your pants and bonnet. I'm going to come in here with my pants sagging and wearing one of my wife's scarves. I'm going to do a live show just to piss y'all off more. Get y'all out of because it's like a, a crucifix to a vampire. A bonnet. These same uppity Negroes will drive through a ravaged community with parasitic corporations, parasitic businesses, slum lords, dilapidated infrastructure, centuries and decades of divestment, of extracting wealth, of benign neglect, of Moynihan's policies, matriarchal policies that, that, that destroyed that completely subverted the, 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 the adaptable, multi-generational black family. With the Moynihan, all that shit, they'll drive through the community where there is literally every block is a timeline of racism, slavery, colonization, capitalism, predatory politics, predatory economics. They'll drive through a community and not see, and they got blinders on, but they see the sagging pants. Oh, this boy had on sagging pants and he used the N-word. Oh, look at that girl. She's got a baby and her baby, she's got fingernails and eyelashes and a bonnet. Oh, there's the problem. Those are Negroes that are out of their minds. And we're back to, I can't believe we're back there. I can't believe we're back there. You know, I'm not wearing a Cosby sweater. Cosby be wearing Diallo sweaters. And if you look at Cosby sweaters, he was wearing Coogee and high-end uh, $1,700, $2,000 sweaters. And those sweaters were $1,700 in the 80s. I don't be wearing no designer label sweaters. This here and this right here, if I paid $30 for a sweater, I didn't pay too much. So this is an anti-Cosby sweater, not a Cosby sweater. Y'all, y'all some, y'all, I just can't believe this is back. <clears throat> y'all just, every time, I feel like that, what's in that, that gangster movie? Every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. <laughs> every time. I just thought one hurdle. I'm like, okay, one hurdle. Good. I thought I could pat black folks on the back. We done left these integrationist Negroes, these hypocritical respectability Negroes in the dust. It even seemed like Umar was getting off of his whole uh, uh, right-wing reactionary, but no, it's back. It's back, y'all. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's, uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go to the topic. I just wanted to go to the topic today because I don't really, I didn't want to talk about this, but I feel like, I feel compelled to. I feel compelled to because there's such a visceral reaction. I actually, because let me tell you, this is a show by four of the people. And that's why y'all better say I'm listener sponsored. The, my only source of support for the Bro Diallo show comes exclusively from the listeners. 
My only source of promotion is word of mouth in the community, in the streets. My only source of revenue is from my Patreons and people making periodic donations. It's an extremely unstable model. I tell you what, it's a disheartening and unstable, but this is by for and of the people. And so if it's a show, I have to pay attention to the people. I have to listen to the people. I have to engage with the people or else, you know, I can't claim that I have a show that's for the people then. Right? So anyway, <clears throat> I go off of, and I oftentimes, I will structure a Bro Diallo show. Because listen, if this was my show, <laughs> if this wasn't the people's show, I'd be on here every day talking about ecology and veganism and 40K lore. This is all I care about. <laughs> but I know I can't just get on here and talk about 40K lore, space marines and orcs, and the Eldar, and my favorite, the Tau Empire, the space alien socialist, space communist. <laughs> but they're space communist empire builders. Figure that out. But it's fantasy fiction, so. You can do what you want. Anyway, but I can't talk about that. My enthusiasm for the uh, Space Marine 2 game that's coming out. Well, I don't even have the, I don't have the latest X. I got the old Xbox system. I still am playing on the Xbox One. I don't even have the new, new system. So I hope it can play on the Xbox One. So that that's a worry. I'm looking forward to they came out with Diablo 4, but I'm not. Let me stop. So anyway, sometimes when I see something resonating or I post something or say something and I see the people resonating with what I said or what I posted, I will carry that forward. I'll get into it a little deeper. So that's what we're doing today. But before I talk about that, I have to talk about something. I have to get orient black people before we get into the topic. The topic today is. You know, if you saw the thumbnail, it said, is this your king? But And I scratched out king. Is this your prince of Pan-Africanism? And the title of the show is, Dr. Umar is not, is a symptom. Menticide is the disease. Because I've been accused of being obsessed with Umar Johnson when I'm not. I'm just responsive to what resonates with the people. Yeah, Diablo is, but they came out with a Diablo 4. I like Diablo 3, but here's my thing. I don't I don't pay for it. I ain't giving Bill Gates <laughs> nothing. So I only buy the games at discount. So I, I generally, if a new game comes out, don't expect to show me, expect me to pop up playing the game until it's been out about a year and a year and a half. That's when they start coming out with the coupons and the discounts. So in another maybe year, maybe two years, I'll get the latest HF after the like a game. When they come out with the new game system, I generally don't get it until it's been around about five, six years. Then you go into Costco and they'll have it like 60 percent off at Costco. Then I buy the gaming system. And when a new game comes out, 60 to 70 dollars. But then they'll have like after the game's been out about a year and just before they come out with the expansion pack, they'll discount the game and I can get the game for like five five dollars and then you know you can get the game for like five dollars but then you got the expansion pack is like 25 to 50 dollars and then I wait another year and I download the expansion pack so I did with Mortal Kombat 
when they were y'all were paying fifteen dollars for the extra characters, I got them for like ninety nine cents each. You just gotta wait. Patience, my young Padawan. Patience. That's all. That's a. That's how I game. I'm. I'm. I'm the. I'm the struggle gamer. No, let me not say struggle gamer. I'm the frugal gamer. Frugal swag. I'm frugal as hell now. I'm a frugal gamer. We gotta. We gotta start elevating frugality. I'm a frugologist. Very frugal. Anyway. Uh. Where was I? Y'all give me. Like I said. All right. Let me talk about. I'm saying people have accused me of being obsessed with Dr. Umar, which is funny because I'll go on and have broadcast. I'll have posts. I'll write blog posts and never mention Umar. And then when I do mention Umar. Everybody say, oh, you're so obsessed. Like, no, y'all the ones obsessed with Umar because people who never comment, who never engage with me unless I say something about Umar. So who's the one obsessed with Umar? But anyway, I don't even mind y'all being obsessed with Umar. He's funny as hell. And I've said this before, and I say it one more again. I've said it before, and I'll say it one more time. My problems with Umar are not personal. Yes, they are. But no, they ain't. They're ideological. And this is something black folks don't understand about ideology and struggle. You got to be critical. And the more someone aligns with what you believe, the more critical you should be of them. Let me say, every time I try to do a sports analogy, I want to be more alpha. I want to be more manly. So I try to incorporate sports into talking because apparently that's what men do. We sports. I, mm, I hate sports, man. I hate pro sports. I don't like watching sports. It kind of blows my mind to go on TV to watch a bunch of people chase balls that I don't know. I don't understand that. Like my son played basketball and soccer and I go watch and I'm very enthusiastic. I got a niece who was really a, a superstar when she played soccer. I go watch her play soccer. But I've, the, I don't know you and, and then the billions of dollars these people are generating, it's weird to me. So I've never been able to get into pro or college or even regional sports. If I don't know nobody on the, on the field chasing the ball, what's it got to do with me? So anyway, but I'm going to try to incorporate more sports analogies. Let me tell black people when it comes to revolution and the icons and leaders of the movement, we are not supposed, we as the black masses, we are not supposed to act like fans. Y'all out here acting like fans, which means uh, I know people in this city who love the Sox and the Sox is their team. And I had, I had bought a uh, Cubs t-shirt. I was somewhere and I saw a really well-made t-shirt for $5. Frugologist. And it had like the, it was a very nice looking t-shirt. It was a Cubs t-shirt and it was powder blue and red with a red collar and red sleeve accents and a, and a really cool looking symbol with the circle and the C. It was a really, really cool t-shirt. And it was Cubs. I didn't care that it said Cubs. So I'm walking down the street. And I used to be very conscious of like colors and teams. Like in Kansas City, if you're wearing the, the, the Cardinals, 
that's Bloods. Kansas City Royals, that's Crips. Chiefs, that's Bloods. You know, Houston, that's Hoover. I understood certain teams you just couldn't wear because of gang affiliation. But when I got here, I figured I've aged out of all that mess. I'm too old. Anybody see me wearing something that's out of pure ignorance because I don't know nothing about nothing. And I ain't with that shit. So I'm wearing this Cubs shirt. And people, every time I wore it, White Sox fans, because I live on the south side. I'm on 53rd Street. I'm out on 81st Street. You know, I'm over on Van Zandt's. I'm on the south side of Chicago, and every time, which is p apparently White Sox, somebody said something greasy to me. <laughs> the Sox, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow, this is weird. Because I've, I, man, listen, you couldn't pay me to sit and watch a goddamn baseball game. I have a younger brother who would listen when he was at work, listen to baseball on the radio. I wanted to call the child services to come take this dude away because this is a weirdo. I thought only, like, serial killers listen to baseball on the radio. You know, you watch a scary movie, and you hear baseball playing, an announcer talking on the radio, listening to baseball on the radio, and the, and the, and the camera pans from the old, uh, old school AM radio, and the camera pans across the room, and there's pickaxes and chainsaws and the flesh of dead people piled up in the corner. That's how, that's how I'm, I'm like, yo, my brother's in this house listening to baseball on the radio. Only a madman would do that. But anyway, what am I talking about? This is what I'm trying to tell black people. When it comes to our struggle, we act like fans. So I like Dr. Umar. I like Farrakhan. I'm with Riza Islam. And we get with these... These ideologies, these camps, and we act like fans of these people, and we start bickering and bumping heads with each other based on the fandom. That is not how we approach our struggle and our leaders. Black people, I have to tell you, you are the owners. These people work for you. So let's talk about the Bulls, right? Let's talk about the Bulls and Michael Jordan. Right. The fans are all love to this day. People still buying his dumbass overpriced sweatshop shoes and debating LeBron Jordan, LeBron Jordan. As fans. But what the owners look at it like this, the owners of the team are like, listen, the Bulls were here before Jordan and the Bulls going to be here long after Jordan. It's about the Bulls. It's not about the Jordan. And they debate, when the owners get together and debate, they don't debate about who was the greatest player. They debate about who brought more. Who brought more fans in the seats? Who brought more attention? Who brought more revenue? Who advanced their profits and their interests and their agendas? And they will buy, sell, trade, bench, or do whatever I want. You could be the top player in the world, the best player in the world, a top tier, division one, whatever, franchise player. But if you're like Craig Hodges and you get a little too big for your britches, if you cap a nick, they'll slam your ass. Right? So that's the same way we should be. We don't, whether we like them or not, 
we have to look at these black prominent black figures and say hey do we need to buy this food? Do we need to sell this true food? Do we need to trade this food? Do we need to bench this food? Do we need to suspend this food? You as a black person that are mad at me for being critical of prominent blacks should be mad at yourself for not being critical of prominent blacks. They work for us. We are not their fans. We are their owners. In terms of the moment you put yourself out as a leader, the moment you say, I'm the prince. I am the number where well, the brother Umar will come out and say, I'm the most requested black speaker. I'm this. I'm once you put yourself out there, once you set yourself up. Then you, the community should be as more. I, it just blows my mind to go around adult black adults and we put more debate into. Who's going to lead our favorite team for the next season than we put into who's going to lead our community for the next generation? It's scary to me. But anyway, let's get into it. Because people are like, why are you talking about Umar? The reason I'm talking about Umar is because y'all talking about Umar. But let, let me show you this. Right? <clears throat> let me see if I can share the screen. I posted this. Because I thought it was funny. I said it's so appropriate that Dr. Umar is sporting the Don King hairstyle. Because he's managing the black fight for liberation like Don King managed black fighters. Right? And I just want to give y'all some of the responses because Umar, he can come and go. What the, the, the good thing about Umar, where they talk about where he's like a, a, a pivotal point. You could say, find out a lot about the community as a whole or a person's politics as an individual based on how they respond to Umar. So I just want to tell y'all, this is just like maybe just a small percentage of the responses I get. Because it is, like I said, Umar is just the symptom. Menticide is the disease, right? So this is just a, a exercise and trying to evaluate where we are within the movement, specifically the Pan-African movement, being that he is the self-professed prince of Pan-Africanism, right? So it says, I said Don King, Umar has Don King hairstyle. Didn't say it was a bad hairstyle, didn't say it was good, just said it looks like Don King's hair. And I said he's managing the fight for black liberation the same way Don King manages black fighters, right? So, <clears throat> let me see, how do I advance this? So, these are some responses, right? Like, this is a brother I've known for years, for decades. Educated brother. You know, brother's been around the community and, and, and engaged in some, some fight for the community. So, he says to me, I know we make jokes about dude, but what are your actual issues with the dude? Valid question. And I've said it before. I've said it several times. And I don't know why. I've said it to him before, but people like to play. But my name is Van Van. I ain't time to play. <laughs> That's so funny to me. My wife is like obsessed with this girl named Van Van. She thinks she's so cute. 
I'm scared, you know, van maid, because I could see her coming home one day. And she's like, listen, I have some good news and some bad news. I've kidnapped her. She just loves little cute black girls. What do you want from me? Anyway, my name is Van Van. I ain't time to play. Anyway, my issues with Dr. Umar is that he skillfully merges pan-African liberation rhetoric with right-wing reactionary ideology. I, based on Umar's words, assertions, agendas, I think that Umar is a right-wing reactionary parading as a pan-Africanist. I think that Umar is a militant integrationist who wants to elevate or reconstruct a black version of the status quo, the capitalist patriarchy, patriarchal hierarchical status quo. And he is coding this right-wing reactionary ideology in black rhetoric and black militant rhetoric. I do not, I cannot conclude that Dr. Umar is in favor of liberation. And I also know that this position, this point of view, is very, very prevalent within the larger black community. Umar didn't start this, and he's not even the most prominent person that does this. It's just the thing that Umar kind of emerged in the social media era. So he was able to position himself to be the embodiment of this reactionary black militancy. But Farrakhan's been around doing this before Umar was born. And Farrakhan has several bastard offspring, upstarts, Riza Islam, Malik Zulu Shabash, a lot of these other reactionary Islamic. So, um, <clears throat> That's my issue with Umar. I think that if Umar was fully successful in his agenda, the condition of the black community and black women and children in particular would be look very much the same. It is more akin to those like uh, in, in, in Zimbabwe. When the when the, when the reactionaries took over in Zimbabwe, when the black reactionaries took over in Haiti, when the black reactionaries took over in Kenya. There are several people of black reactionaries, uh, the, the Duvalier family, who literally hate white people. Fred Hampton pointed this out. Chairman Fred Hampton pointed this out. They hate white people. But they don't hate white people for the injustice. They hate white people because white people excluded them from the hierarchy. They hate their exclusion from the hierarchy, which is so different than hating the hierarchy. You, and I don't think we've grasped that. We have a really hard time understanding that black people that are just, because every black person should be outraged. I don't, I, if there is a black person who is, these black people out here, you know, uh, they like that witch from the whiz, evil lean, don't bring me no bad news, no negative energy. It's all good, it's all positive. Those black people, uh, let me not even get off the rails. But there were black people like the Duvaliers, like Jomo Kenyatta, like Mugabe, Robert Mugabe. Like the Rwandan leader right now, Kagame. 
They are like black. I'm black and we're going to be black and no white man can tell us what to do. No white man can control us. We're going to do our own black thing. But then we come to find out that their black thing is setting up oppressive structures, exploitative institutions, repression. That they just were like, listen, I don't want to end the system of oppression. I just want to replace the white man at the top of that hierarchical system of oppression. So you hear it in his rhetoric where he talks about the black family, where he talks about the black community and the role of black men. It sounds good on the surface, but when you look at it, when you're outside of power, when you're outside of power, when you're challenging power, but you're not in a position to implement and, and, and direct institutions, it sounds good. Bring down the suck, fight the power. But then when you say, well, what happens when you take power, when you're in control? So that's always been my issue. And it's not just with Umar. I've been calling out Farrakhan and I've been f calling out the irritated genie. I've been calling out these black militant reactionaries, right? I've even gotten cease and desist letters from some of them. For calling them out. I've, and so me as a Pan-Africanist, if you call yourself a Pan-Africanist, you're going to get my attention. Fortunately, I have to say the vast majority of individuals who say I'm a Pan-Africanist, the professors, the scholars, the street level organizers, for every black person that stands up and says I am a Pan-Africanist, I have no qualms with them. Even though they approach it differently, they focus and have different priorities or, or, or different methodologies, tactics, strategies than I do. I'm like, we need all the Pan-Africanists we can get. And I was just in New York City and, 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 and I tell people, hey, I'm in New York City. I break bread with the Pan-African community. Up in Harlem. And we ain't even got to fight and debate. Hey, we just get together and dance and celebrate together. I'm headed to Atlanta. I'm headed to Atlanta and I hope to break bread with Pan-Africans and my brethren and sisters. I have no problem. But the few Pan-Africanists that say I'm a Pan-Africanist and everything that comes out their mouth after Pan-Africanism is isolationist, restrictive. And so let's go on. So that's my problem with dude, which I've said, I've wrote it down. I've created blog posts. I've created memes. I call him out when he comes out with some reactionary, regressive shit, wife resume bullshit. I call it out. But since he's such a caricature, it's a, but let, let's move on. I'm going to try to get through these and, and move on to, to some other issues and try to open up the, the phones. So then he said, is his, his lack of school? I have no problem with, a, with, with his lack of school. Believe you me, as a man who has opened cooperatives, who has ran restaurants, who's had vegan catering services, I know what it's like to have a venture fail. Or a venture that, that is successful for a time and then just redirect or you want to get into something else. I have no problem with Umar failing at opening his school. My problem with his school, I have no problem with him coming to the community asking for money for the school. I have no problem with him attempting to open a school and failing to open a school. I have no problem with him deprioritizing school. I have no problem with that. My problem with this whole school thing is, number one, 
his justification for opening the school. I don't think any individual should set themselves up as the answer, centering themselves. I have a problem with him talking about we're going to create real men. and duh, 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 duh. I do have a problem with that. So his motivations for opening school to me are questionable. I think that Dr. Umar created a false threat, the gay agenda of feminizing, all of that. So you create a false. So I do have a problem with his premise for opening the schools. For I do have a problem with his announced deliverables for opening a school. Yeah, I'm going to train up warriors for the next generation. So I think that's some bullshit rhetoric. If he says, listen, the schools are for shit. My son is in public school right now. He's in a CPS school. And we have our issues. Lord, it's a fight. But it's a black school and a black community with predominantly black teachers, I mean, like, I think there's only like four non-white students in the whole damn school. The school is 99% black. The vast majority, it's a black school in a black community. And we's like, listen, you're going to fight wherever you put your child. I know black folks that got their kids in selective enrollment. I know black people that got their kids in um, uh, private schools. I know black people that got their kids in African-centered private schools. I know black people that got kids all over the place. And let me tell you, there's one thing we all have in common. We all like straight out the color purple. All our children's academic life you have to fight. If you don't have a black child and you intend on giving birth to or fostering or adopting or, 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 or step-parenting a black child, let me tell you, it's going to be a fight from preschool to graduation and even college. So it's, it's a fight. Ain't nowhere you can put your child where you don't have to fight. Nowhere. My child's very first school was an African-centered collegiate campus that was run by, by, by the black National Black United Front. It was black as hell. Independent black institution. We in there having to are you going to have to all your life, all your academic life. You're going to have to fight. I have no problem with that. But the premise was wrong. I think he was being uh, um, deceptive in what he could deliver and why. So I do have a problem with the deceptions. Business fail every day. I think if he had an appropriate goal and mission statement. But if you go look at the goal, you go look at the mission statement from the get go. The school was violating the law. He had discriminatory standards and discriminatory practice. So so even if he followed everything to the T, he secured that campus and he secured it. The school would have been shut down before it opened because it violated the law, labor, basic labor law. So in my assessment, being that he's an educated man, he never intended on opening that school. You know. I've never attempted or never desired to run a school. I don't even like sitting down doing homework with my kids, let alone doing a whole school. And bless the hearts of those who do. Bless your hearts. I have great respect for educators. Um, that, especially educators of children. Boy, you have my utmost respect. That's why when the teachers union was down there, Protesting, I always go down there and stand on the line with the with the with the teachers union, march around City Hall because I know everybody hating on these teachers, calling them groomers and all kind of bullshit because of Umar. But I and people like him. But I digress. So it's not the fact that he failed to open the school. People fail at business and fail at ventures every day, especially in the liberation struggle. 
It's the empty rhetoric, the, 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 the unrealistic policies, the fear-mongering around opening the school. That's my problem. And he, was, he, he put deliverables on the table that he could never achieve. So it turned out what could have been a venture, what could have been a project, what could have been an agenda, and turned it into a meme, into a spectacle. But let's move on. Is it some of his statements? Yes. My problem with him is many of his statements, and I'm very clear on his statements that I disagree with. But let me tell you something else. As Kwame Ture said, a half-truth is more dangerous than a full lie. I want to get through this before 8.30. So I got about 15 minutes. A half-truth is some of the lie. So my main problem with his statements is, again, he fuses right-wing, reactionary, conservative, family values, Judeo-Christian morality, and he fuses that with uh, a radical, revolutionary rhetoric. Two things that should be going against each other, that basically cancel each other out. But it sounds good. It's very seductive because it allows you a comfortable revolution. Because even as a revolutionary, you shouldn't be comfortable like, yeah, I'm a revolutionary. And everything within the realm of revolutionary and revolution, I'm comfortable with. There's a lot of things within liberation struggle that I have to struggle with. If you don't have internal struggle, if you don't have internal critique and criticisms, your your struggle within the society and your critique of the society will be greatly flawed at best. So I think I spoke to that. If so, which one? In these states, I remember when he got into Dr. Umar got into conversing, uh, cursing beef with someone else on social media, which looks silly. Is, uh, is it the supposed date stripper? Again, let me tell you something else. I have no problem with Umar dating a stripper. If me and Umar went to the same barbershop, <laughs> I don't know. It's been a while. You know, let me say, about five years ago, I had a homie that went to prison for 17 years. And he would write, he would call, I kept up with him. We've been friends since the fifth grade. He got locked up for 17 years. And uh, his, no, it wasn't, his brother, his brother contacted me online and said, yo, because I hadn't heard from him in like months. I, it was like the longest stretch of time I went without hearing from dude. And his brother contacted me and said he's getting out. So I guess he's just kind of like focused on his appeal, focused on his parole. And he wasn't contacting the inside world. He wasn't making no calls. He wasn't writing no letters. He was in the law library. He got out of jail. His mama, his sister, his big sister, and his baby sister, and his mama, they got him out of jail. So I'm like, oh, told my wife, hey, I'm headed down to KC. You know, my man getting out of jail. Ain't been free in over almost 20 years. Go check my man. So I get down there. And you know how you do. Everybody with homies fresh out. You say, so what you want to get into? That's the first thing you say. Oh, the OG, the big homie out. What you want to get into? And what they are, and let me not lie. One of my homies got out and we went and had to a wine bar. <laughs> we went and sat in this wine and jazz bar. And it was a very calm, serene catching up. But I got other homies. <laughs> It's like, yo, let's go to the strip club. Now, this is a strip club we ain't been to in 20 years. It's still there. Shady lady. And he was like, yo, we got to go to the spot. So we went to the old reggae spot. It was dead as hell. <laughs> it was dead as hell. It, I mean, these clubs are like decades 
past their prime. So we went to the shady lady. So it's been a while since I've been to a strip club. And I'm like, good. I get to go to a strip club and put it on my man's. I, it's, his, it's him. I'm trying to, you know, you know, I ain't, wouldn't be doing it if not for him. And I was excited. But when I got there, just not what I remember it. You ever seen a movie that you saw when you were a kid and you thought it was so edgy and thought it was so hip? And then you watch it as an adult and be like, wow, I had really bad taste as a kid. Like there was a movie, I think Chasing Amy. I saw that when I was like a freshman in college or something. I saw Chasing Amy. And I remember watching it with my homies and we were like, wow, this movie's wild. And then I went back to watch it. It showed up on the streaming service. I'm like, this movie's fucking horrible. But anyway, it's not that the strip club was hard. It's just I'm not there no more. Y'all remember in The Wire when Cuddy got out of jail and he thought he was going to be G'd up and strapped up and hit the streets? And he's like, it ain't in me no more. What's in you ain't in me no more. But anyway, all that to say is I'd be the last dude to criticize somebody about a stripper. Now, if we went to the same barbershop, I'd be high-fouling him. So if you want them cookies, them corny-ass texts. But here's the problem with Umar getting a stripper. Anybody else free to date a stripper. But Umar lied about being celibate. He condemned women of low moral and low character. He was into the respectability. So it's not dating a stripper. It's the hypocrisy. Now, you can follow all my writings. I got over 300 videos of, of the Bro Diallo show, the Bro Diallo archives. And one thing you will not find me doing is slut shaming, attacking sex workers, attacking women who are open in their sexuality, free and open in their say. One thing you will not find me doing is trying to be a, uh, a, a, a conservative when it comes to sex, to sexuality, to femininity, and women expressing themselves. And, heart, and you won't find me anywhere in all my time, at least in the last 20 years, go find somewhere. So if you see me, if me and Dr. Mingo have a falling out and I end up seeing, if I go home and all my clothes is on the lawn, that's like always envision like Biggie Smalls. When the wind blows, I see my polos and timbos. If I went home today and my clothes was on the front lawn and the locks was changed. And then I went out and, and, and rebuilt myself and got into a new relationship. You can't, I, and, and I'm with a stripper. Ain't nothing you can say to me. If I meet a sister who, who's a sex worker or a stripper and we start dating and she become my woman, you ain't nothing you can say. Because I've never said that I'm celibate. I've never said that I have any issues with sex work or stripping, none of that. But when you do put yourself up, like if you see me eating a hamburger, you'd be like, Diallo's full of shit. Because all I do is talk about how much better I am than y'all are because I am a vegan. You know every vegan thinks they're better than you. <laughs> that's how you meat eaters think. We all are better, and we do. We know we are. Then that's it. But my problem with Umar dating a stripper is that he claimed he was celibate. He talked about wife resume. He talked about traditional family values. and, the, and the, So, yeah, it's just it's not that he dated a stripper. It's that he condemned and attacked and demeaned black women and then going to turn around and sneak. So that's what's shitty about that. But other than that, like I said, I'm like more power to you, dude, you know, but many of these moralists. And so here's the sister that says, I like him overall. He may be a homophobe, but when it comes to black and black liberation teacher, he is righteous. I don't know how that works. To me, homophobia is reactionary in its right wing. 
How do I know? Because I was there. I was Umar before Umar. And I would I have asked Umar and, and, and I have asked what's his name? Amalamu Baruti, I've put the question out. I've even put the question out to the straight black pride. Saying, what is your revolutionary or rationalist arguments against homosexuality? Inevitably, they always go back to a Judeo-Christian moralist argument. Or they come up with a pseudo-scientific, oh, it will decrease the black population. Oh, gay men won't fight. I've never gotten a revolutionary, rationalist, or liberation argument for shunning, condemning, banning homosexuals. I'm still waiting. Every argument that I get that is in opposition to the LGBTQ community has always been reactionary, uh, uh, theocratic, or irrational. So how can you be, and I understand there are some people with hangups. But being a homophobe does mean that you do have some. Now, I don't even understand this. Now, this person, I left their name on there because this is not a real person. There are people that I block from time to time just because they don't really contribute anything constructive to the conversation. And they uh, create all these fake accounts. Now, I have an idea of who I think this is. But this is a person, like, if you look at this particular account, you'll notice it's only a few months old. They only have a few friends. They don't, like, have much content on there. So this is a troll account. But these are the kind of people, you know, that come out to, 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 to defend Umar. So this person, it, I'm not even going to really respond to this, but this is the kind of feedback I get, right? And re, be mindful of the comment it's under where it's saying he's Don King. It says, here goes the atheist, yeah, that's me, Antichrist. I wish I was the Antichrist. I heard, you know, in the Bible, the Antichrist is supposed to be beautiful and charismatic. So I could understand if somebody mistakenly thinks that I'm the Antichrist because I am, you know. So that's actually a comment. I know he think he's uh, tearing me down. But atheist, antichrist, no program, Negro. I have a program. You know, if you want it, I'll send it to you. I'll email it to you. Having a program is easy. Executing a program, you know, that's where the problem. No, armchair, I wish I had an armchair. This chair has no arms on it, but I wish I had a more comfortable chair. Q4 radio staff, the same chair's been here for seven years. Come on. Anyway, yes, okay, yeah, armchair critic. I wish I did have a more comfortable chair from which to criticize and critique. And I, I greatly value critiques, so I don't see that as a, and can get no traction unless he brings up Umar's name. Yeah, maybe. But again, if I don't get traction unless I mention Umar, is that a condemnation of me? Is that a condemnation of me or a condemnation of y'all? <laughs> If y'all only pay attention to me when I speak of Umar, then that says more about him than me. And uh, then all of his useless followers make, wait a minute, do I have followers or not? Uh, mimic and congratulates him. And I have to say, yes, this people, when I do what I said about this, made this joke about Don King of 
consciousness instead of King Kong consciousness. And I made this joke that Umar is the Don King of consciousness. Yeah, most people got the joke and understood it to be a joke and move on. They didn't get mad. They just like, ha ha, and we move on. So I guess he's right now. And, but this is where the shit starts to go off the rail. From my standpoint, his followers and many others are not nation builders and have no concept of building a nation. Okay. These are culturally displaced and racially confused who belong to no organization. The Hispanic community will replace this disoriented, ahistorical, confused American Negro. Okay. Uh, an intelligent person will take from anyone and add to building their nation and not just sit back and masturbate. Show me what these Internet Negroes have built. Well, you Negroes don't own any land, so you <laughs> will feel the weight of real America soon. So, you know, I'm not really sure where to take this. This is a, a criticism that comes often from reactionaries <laughs> in terms of they think owning land and but I agree, you do have to work towards building institutions, but before you can even really get into institutions, it has to be the ideology behind the institution. But like I said, there's so much there. I don't think he speaks, he speaks for himself. He has a very low opinion. Now, I don't think this person, again, is a black person. This person pretends to be black, they give themselves black names and they come on and they troll. And every time I block, this individual, they pop up. But here's some more. Uh, Davon Teat, we got bigger fish to fry. I agree, there are bigger fish to fry. But this is the thing. How is that detracting? Oh, wait, the thing moved. That thing was supposed to be up there. I don't know why. Uh, we got two million members of black fraternities and sororities that haven't built independent African-centered institutions in over 100 years. Now, I think that's a good thing. I didn't mean to put your name up there, Davon, but the thing didn't move for some reason. That's weird. I agree that they haven't built, but my thing is the last population or the last segment of black people that you want to build institutions is black fraternities and sororities. By definition, Greek-lettered organizations are, are Eurocentric. The Greek letter organizations are born out of the concepts that the Greeks are the founders of civilization. So if you are a member of a Greek letter organization, you are by, by definition not African-centered. You are Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Hobbes, the Western philosophical academic tradition is where you're centered. If you're going to brand yourself with Greek letters, you are asserting that Greece is the home of civilization, which is what the Greek letters were founded for. So I appreciate the fact. Just get out there in them weird clothings, doing them weird rituals and stomp dancing and twirling those kings. Stay doing that. Stay doing that. Don't try to build Africans because the last thing we want is people, a black man with a Greek mentality doing anything besides dancing and huffing and puffing and screaming. 
shaving his head and branding his ass. Stay doing that. Because by definition, if you're Greek, you're not African-centered. If you're Greek-oriented. So that is a criticism I don't really agree with. And they continue to take in new members, brainwash them, that's true, to believe that integration is the way. At least Omar speaks out against that. At the very least, absolute least. I guess so. I guess, yes. But what you don't follow is, Umar speaks out against the Greeks, but can you tell me how his ideology deviates beyond that? When you talk about the specific, like, let's say Umar's school, right? Can you tell me how his schooling curriculum, because I looked at the curriculum as far as he posted it. I looked at his standards for his school. You go and look at that and tell me, even though it says you, it, all Umar did was take Greek all the Greek ideology, all the Greek protocols, and scratch out Greek and write in African. So the word Greek doesn't appear, but the mentality and the ideology of Greek is everywhere. And they say, you mad because you donated to his school. I actually didn't donate to Umar's school, but I do think it was trifling for him to call black people trifling for giving him only 700000 as opposed to the million dollars he's asked for, for him to stand up and attack the the community that did support him. I thought that was for shit. Um, someone states, it's quite funny and sad at the same time uh, for you, Diallo. You must admit that you follow Dr. Umar Johnson's, but you follow him with negative intention. That is not true. I do not follow Dr. Umar. I do not follow him on socials. I do not follow him uh, in terms of his teachings. I am not a follower of Dr. Umar. I mean, it's probably, I remember uh, when I first came, uh, became, was made aware of Dr. Umar and, and, and I, I looked at his books and I looked at a few of his interviews and I'm like, oh, this guy's a clown. Back when y'all were taking Umar seriously, before he was on the internet in a poofball hat, poofball Philly hat playing gangster, before he took that fake phone call, I got this, I got this, acting like he's got soldiers ready to roll for him acting like he had soldiers on deck ready to roll for him, then the phone ring, and before the, the, the stripper, before his beef with Tariq, before everybody else, before he got butt naked, before he asked for wife resumes, before Umar went online and doxed his own baby mama, and doxed his own baby mama and encouraged his, because y'all see some of the lunacy in some of these responses, right? Before he put his 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 uh, baby mama's business address and business phone number online and told his insane followers to contact her. Before all of that, I'm like, this guy's goofy as hell. Let me move on. So I, I saw the writing on the wall, just like I've been hating on Cosby since 87. I've been hating now. Everybody's like, oh, Oprah's problematic. I was attacked. Because I was calling out Oprah in 1991. Like, Oprah's wrong about literally everything she says. So, like I said, I don't, when I say, like, I don't claim titles that I can't live up to. Like, I would never call myself the prince of Pan-Africanism. But I do call myself the hater innovator. Because I hate, my hater is greater and I don't come later. I be hating ahead of the pack. So I don't follow Umar. I get, in, in fact, this latest Umar thing came when uh, Jared Ball on, on my show, Earn Your Liberation, had played a snippet because Jared Ball had interviewed Cornell West. 
And let me just say, I do not support Cornell West in his bid for presidency. I don't support Cornell West. I tried. I looked into it. I tried. I tried. I tried and I tried and I tried. But I, I, I have to go on record. I don't support Cornell West. So it's early in the presidential game, but I will not be voting for Cornell West. And like I said, I used to call Cornell West Coonell West. I used to call him Coonell West because of uh, him backstabbing the UAM, him backstabbing Dr. Clark, him backstabbing Professor William Mackey's, and at the same time he backstabbed them dudes when he didn't get tenure and he was being squashed out of his Ivy League institution. Them same scholars that he called demagogues, the same scholars that he called the African-centered scholars that he called pseudo-scholars, they came and supported him. Dr. Uh, Professor William Mackey gay and stood up in support. And he was like, even though the brother did me wrong, he's still a black man and we have to stand together. And I said to Professor William Mackey myself, man, don't support Cornell West. Don't don't stand with him and skip Gates. No. And he was like, it's the right thing to do. And I'm like, fuck it. If supporting them dudes is right. I, and then I want to be wrong. Anyway, I used to call him Cornell West and dismiss him. But then he came out against the Obama administrations and called out the atrocities of the Obama administration is one of the most prominent black figures to call out. And, and, and he was doing it back when, cause now it's cool to say Obama didn't do nothing for black people. It's cool to say that in 2023 in 2008, 2009, 2010, Obama was, y'all just got short memories. Obama couldn't, was untouchable. So I respected that. So I'm like, I ain't going to call this brother Cornell West no more. I'm going to call him Cornell West. Call him by his name. I ain't going to be dissing him no more because I appreciate that. You know, and I'm like, I'm all waiting for redemption arcs. Like I said, I play fantasy games and video games and read comic books. Nothing I like more than a villain that becomes a hero. But then I go and look. And I'm like, this ain't real. He ain't as reformed as I thought he was. Still reactionary, still playing these games, still trying to walk the line between white ring reactionary and 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 and, and black progressive and progressivism. So, no, I don't support Cornell West. But anyway, I saw Umar's critique of Cornell West, which was dumb as hell, and that's why. So I don't follow Umar. I just when he pops up, I just share my opinion and I try to move on. But like he said, everybody want to talk about it. So let's be about it. Um, he said, I have listened to a video of Dr. Umar and he was making valid points as always. But you just want to ridicule his hair and dismiss what he was talking about. Yes, I do want to ridicule his hair. And yes, I do. That is very true. I do want to dis. But like I said, my problem with Umar, like I said, a half truth is greater than a full lie. And I have to admit, Dr. Umar does make valid points. You know, and but I try to look at the whole person. I try to look at it in its entirety. What is Dr. Umar's ultimate mission? What is he ultimately advocating for? What is his sum total? When we get all these points, some valid points. And you add up all the points. What does the equation equal to? What is the ultimate outcome? So I admit, yeah, Umar makes valid points. Never said he didn't. And then he says, also, can you elaborate on your comparison with Don King, please? Valid question. I got to pick up the pace. The reason I said 
Don King consciousness. If you know anything about Don King, everybody knows that Don King robbed boxers. He was one of the most vocal and outlandish, invisible promoters, and he brought a lot of attention to boxing. So when people criticize Don King, they always have to say, well, without Don King, boxing wouldn't be the premier prime time spectacle that it is. It brings a lot of attention. It brings a lot of ears and eyes and, 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 and it's a huge spectacle. But people also know that once he brought all that eyes, all those attention, put on those grand events, that he did it not so much for the sport and the athletes of boxing, but for his own aggrandizement. And another thing that Mike Tyson and other boxers have articulated, Mike Tyson said, Don King will come to you and talk about the white man. Don King will come to you and use our struggle and our connection as black people to seduce you. He will come and say the white man want to control us. The white man been robbing us. The white man oppresses us. And so you got a black boxer who comes up poor, who comes up on the front lines of racism, poverty, discrimination, substandard housing, low quality food, inadequate institutions that view you as the problem. So that's a very attractive story. So Don King would come to these young, black, talented men and be like, I'm black like you. Me and you, we both black. And we as black brothers got to stick together. And so these young athletes will be like, yeah, I'm rolling with the black guy. I'm with the black and yeah, we're going to take it to the man. And they find out that Don King is just as insidious, predatory, greedy, deceptive as the white man. Even worse so, because he is able to play an angle that the white boy don't have available to him. Which is black racial solidarity and our shared history of oppression. So Umar, in a lot of the same ways, will come and talk about slavery, talk about racism, talk about colonization, talk about discrimination, talk about how they prey on our children and say, come over here with me. Come out of there. Come away from the whites and come over to my school. Give money to me. Give support to me. Follow me. And then when you're following him, you end up at the same place you would have ended up if you stayed with the white folks. So, yes, he brings a lot of attention. A lot of people are like he is a meme whenever somebody goes out there and dates outside the race or says some Uncle Tom shit. They post the uh, Umar memes and Umar pops up. He is the, brings a lot of attention to Pan-Africanism, to black militancy, to the black conscious struggle. But to what end? So our fight for freedom versus your fight for the heavyweight championship. You got this guy yelling in the corner. Talking, acting like he's on your side when it's all about him. The same dude to say, I want to free my people will call our people trifling because we only gave him $700,000 as opposed to the million he asked for. Now, only niggas, when somebody says only niggas, we just saw white people. Only niggas will continue to be crabs in a barrel. Now, criticizing a leader. Right. It's not crab in the barrel behavior. Right. Here's the thing. You got white people, half of the white people in America 
who says that Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden are satanic pedophiles who drink adrenochrome, who torture children to create an, a reaction and so that they can extract, so that they can have high stress hormones in their blood and they extract the blood that has adrenaline in it and extract the, the adrenal glands to create adrenal chrome to, to douse themselves in the blood of children. <laughs> you got white folks out here that believe this, ready to die on this lie. Half, half of white America. So they criticize their leaders. Nobody says crabs in a burrow. A bunch of white folks all blooded, waving the red, white, and blue flag, broke into their own Capitol building to smear feces, to smear feces and urine on the walls of the state Capitol. Ran their Congress and their own congressmen into a bunker. Nobody says them bringing, so, but me just offering critiques and criticism is tearing down. <laughs> it's funny. But only niggas will continue to be crabs in a fucking barrel. Y'all can say what you will about this brother after you or if you can ever see past that superficial shit in his personal life. Realize now. He puts his personal life out there. No, the adrenochrome conspiracy is not real. That is not real. That QAnon shit is not real. What is real is that they killed millions of people in the Middle East in order to manipulate and, 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 and to maintain control of fossil fuel production and distribution. What is real is the Honduran and Haitian coup d'etats that are orchestrated by these people. It really fucks me up that we talk about adrenochrome and all that shit when, 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 when uh, 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 30 to 50,000 children a day die of starvation. Yeah, they are killing kids, but they're not killing kids by for their adrenal chrome. They're killing kids to maintain capitalist uh, 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 hegemony and capitalist and imperialist distribution of re resources. But instead of focusing on their real crimes against humanity, their real crimes against children, you come up with this mystical supervillain bullshit that distracts you. That distracts you. Epstein pedo island. Yes, Epstein was a, 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 a pedophile and he's a dead individual. But the Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, the Islamic faith, all these large institutions that prey on children. Where they at? Y'all again, y'all on that supervillain Lex Luthor shit. We got institutions that are legitimate institutions. That are preying upon children systemically all over the world for generations, but they give you Epstein to focus on. When the Arizona government just said, the Arizona Senate just said that the, the, the Mormon church, child brides, is allowed, that, that, that the Mormon uh, uh, clergy is not obligated to report sex crimes. So when people tell me about Epstein and Pizzagate, I don't believe that they really care or give a fuck about children. I just think they're receptive to 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 the to the to the yes, Epstein was a pedophile, but guess where he died? He was murdered in prison. He was in prison. 
And y'all ignoring all these leaders. Why ain't the Pope in prison? All these uh, 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 Quran schools, these madrasas, all of these uh, uh, um, Buddhist temples where they go out and shave the heads of children and force the children to be monks and beg on the street and abuse them. And the people who work on 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 the international and local level, the institutions and, 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 and social workers who work to rescue children and protect children. They all say these conspiratorial people who talk about grooming and drag queen story hour and, and Epstein who's dead. All these people, they said they hamper our efforts. They take attention and resources away from the real source. They take attention away from the real source. But I digress. Where are we? Past superficial shit in his personal life. The superficial shit in Umar's personal life is what he put out there. Nobody has went through his trash. Nobody has climbed through his windows. When he come out, a wife resume, a wife resume. He comes out every time he gets some notion. He gets butt naked on the Internet. He has an addiction to sharing shit that's not relevant to nobody but him to the Internet. And then we mad because we take it and run with it. Who's the bad guy? I'm to say goodbye to the bad guy. Anyway. Realize that he is a spiritual being. Uh, nobody's a spiritual being. That makes no sense. Who's not perfect? Well, I know he's not perfect. Nobody expects him to be perfect. Like ourselves. Soon as a brother, sister, <laughs> sister, even attempt to present something positive for us and the shit doesn't go exactly as plans, we start bashing that person. I guess. It's a wonder these sick motherfuckers haven't tried to take him out. <laughs> That's the thing. Why would they take Umar out? What white agenda, what white institution has he ever even posed any real opposition to? Remember they were going to take Umar's license and Umar said, I'm going to flee the country. Umar loves paperwork. He wants to be in the system. Umar is an integrationist. When they threatened to take away this man's license, he ran running. The same dude that tells you not to vote, the same dude that tells you, you know, to, to, to reject the system. The moment he, his official, when the white man was like, well, you have this professional license and you're not living up to the, to, to the, I've had professional licenses before and had to pay the fees and had to follow the thing. And when they took my license, I'm like, take the shit. I ain't down with this no more. I'm not doing this anymore. I don't agree with it. Take my fucking license. Take my professional license. Bye. And they took it. Or it expired. Let me not. It wasn't that dramatic. It expired. It's a wonder that these Sigma, they ain't nobody, ain't nobody gonna touch that fool. While trying to empower black children. That's up for debate. And anytime any if I came here today and says, listen, my new mission of the Bro Diallo show is to uplift the children. Y'all need to look at me. Y'all need to really aggressively look at me. Somebody asked any thoughts on uh, Cornell. I don't support Cornell's bid for the presidency. I don't support Cornell West as a person or his bid for the presidency. We'll get into that as the race advances. I tried. I wanted to. I wanted to. 
but he's killed up to the same shit he was doing in in the early 2000s the same old bullshit he was pulling in the early 2000s i thought he had overcome it but i was blinded by his obama me and him were 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 bonded over our opposition to the obama administration but then he went back to his same old bs but i digress y'all know they fear that empower <laughs> He puts in work and spreads knowledge, period. More than a lot of you motherfuckers do. So haters, by, uh, bitter bastards, please shut the fuck up. Let us appreciate this man. Go on and hate you, hate your real enemy, cowards. Now, this is where I talk about, there are people I greatly respect. If you ever watched the Earn Your Liberation show, long before I did a show with, with, with um, Dr. Jerry Ball. I've read his first. I, he just sent me uh, an advanced copy of his his latest book before ahead of the launch. But you'll notice that I greatly respect if you look at my critiques of, of Dell Jones's book. If you respect somebody, those are the people that get your most critique, your most criticism the people you look up to and admire are the people you should critique the most like i said this is not don't be a fan be an owner dr umar if he is truly a revolutionary works for the people he is a servant of the people he's not but that's what he's supposed to be if he's truly revolutionary he's your employee You're not a fan of his. He, you should critique him. The people you like you. So I'm just saying people literally look at the uh, Earn Your Liberation show and me and Dr. Ball bump heads. But the reason we bump heads is out of respect. Well, I respect him. <laughs> I don't know. You have to ask him how he feels about me. So he and I, people literally come on the show after the show be like, damn, man, y'all be going at it. But it's because I respect him when he says something I don't think is up to it because I hold him to a standard. And if he doesn't live up to that, I'm like, Dr. Ball, you should know you shouldn't be saying that. You know better than that because that's how it works. If I got on there and me, Geechee and, and Dr. Ball were just all, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And a lot of these shows with multiple hosts work just that way. They all just on one accord. And believe you me, I swear for God. I don't go on that show and be like, yeah, today I'm going to argue and debate with Dr. Ball. I come on there not to argue and debate, but to just hash it out. But, you know, we, we sometimes we go at it. We bump heads. It gets contentious. If you're an Umar supporter and you are coming at it like this, you're a groupie. You're not a supporter. You're a goddamn groupie. What did Easy E say? I hate male groupies, so just step the hell off, you know? So at the very least, if I critique Dr. Umar, your response shouldn't be, how dare you talk about Umar? You have to say, this is an incomplete or inaccurate criticism. And this is why. So you say that Dr. Umar, which I do say, is a right-wing reactionary. That he has conservative values and conservative solutions he does not have revolutionary or radical solutions and therefore he is not the prince of pan-africanism then you have to say oh no 
what Dr. Umar advocates in his all boys school to reclaim, to create black warriors, what he advocates for is actually revolutionary. This is the status quo. This is the, uh, this is the nature and the function of the status quo. And this is how what Dr. Umar advocates subverts the status quo and offers viable alternatives and can offer viable alternatives to the status quo. That's all. But I never get those type of responses from Umar. If I say Umar's wrong about this, y'all just say, yeah, you hate him. You just, uh, 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 you obsessed with him. Oh, you just wrong. Give me, tell me. And, and, and so Lee Clinton, can you handle being critiqued? I just posting big ass comments of people calling me out, calling me a coward. Said I'm an armchair revolutionary. Yes, I'm very good at handling critique. But most critique, I, I, the reason I'm so good at handling critique is not because I got it all figured out. It's because 99% of critique is just people lashing out. But every now and then, 1% of the time, someone will come with a pointed criticism. A clarifying question that I really have to be like, damn, let me look at that. Let, let, I really have to take this criticism seriously. So, yeah, I don't mind somebody calling me a coward, calling me a crab in a barrel, calling me a hater. I don't. Yes, I'm very good at taking those critiques. You are armchair revolutionary. OK, that's fine. Yes, I'm very I don't block people. I don't exclude people. I don't run from it. I don't run from debates. People call me out, want to debate. You know. I don't think the great debate league will ever call me back. But yeah, I'm, I'm open to critique, dialogue, discourse, debate, and I'm even down to argue. Because I do understand that the intellectual component of revolution is as important as the military, the political, the social and cultural. Revolution is an intellectual endeavor. And the only way we can strengthen our ideologies, strengthen our strategies and tactics is through this engagement. So I ain't got no problem with it. Okay. Uh, Diallo, I love your podcast, brother. I've been following you for a while. And I've come to the conclusion you hate everyone. <laughs> I think that's the last one. Yes, I hate everybody. Yes, you got me. You got me. It's just pure hatred. But real talk is, I think that is a valid criticism. But... I don't think that I hate everyone. I know that I don't hate everyone. I love the people and uh, I love several people, prominent people within the movement. I'm on here constantly critiquing. I'm constantly criticizing, but most of it is to strengthen. I, I think that Pan-Africanism, and there's another thing because when you call yourself a Pan-Africanist, you do pop up on my radar. I want everybody. I think every black person should be a Pan-Africanist. Now I'm going to open it up for questions. I'm going to open up for questions and I'm going to open up for, where's the, where's the thing? I'm going to open up for questions and phone calls. We only have a little bit of time. So if you are Umar supporter, so you can call into the, you can type your question, comment, or criticism. If you're watching live, you can type that on the thing, on the thing, or you can call in. I think the number is 
seven, eight, three, four. I should be ashamed of myself. So I just put the phone number. You can call in live, the Bro Diallo Show. I don't know. But the number is 312-985-7834. And you can, or you can uh, offer your question. You can type a question in the comments about today's topic or anything else. But I think this is, I think that in terms of the leader and the prominent people in our community, um, <clears throat> the prominent people in our community and the leaders, I think they are a reflection of where the people are. Um, when I think we got confused when, when the COINTELPRO came out and they said that the agenda of COINTELPRO was to prevent the rise of a black messiah amongst the black community, which means the point of COINTELPRO was to maintain the white, reactionary, racist, capitalist status quo, and that black people had organized ourselves to become a threat to that status quo. And so when they said they wanted to prevent the rise of a black messiah, we mistakenly thought they want to stop an individual, that the government is on the lookout for this individual who will rise up. But in reality, they had to manipulate the consciousness of black people. Because messiahs are nothing more than a product of the people. So the, they, right now, in the community, in the streets, there are dozens of black messiahs. There are dozens of voices, activists, black people on the ground, black people throughout the world, movements and organizations in Haiti, in Nigeria, South Africa, of, of individuals and groups that are down to advance, uh, uh, the, 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 the make positive contributions to the just aspirations of African people. But the problem is they don't get traction. We got Malcolm X's, we got Garvey's, we got Martin Luther King's on the streets right now today. But Malcolm X and Garvey and, and King and, and, and the Black Panther Party, they didn't rise up because they were great. They rose up because the people were receptive to their work. It resonated with the people. So the system said, listen, we have to warp black ideology. We have to redefine what success is. We have to redefine what community means. We have to redefine what family means for African people. We have to transform their culture. Or as when, what in, in the more positive way to say it, we have to win the hearts and minds. Because even when they went to Iraq and after, oh, I got a call. Caller, you're live on the Bro Diallo show. State your name and or alias and where you're calling from. Oh, and I need you to turn off the show in the background because you get feedback. Okay, this is this is Greg calling from DC. Greg from DC, what's up, brother? Hey, listen, don't ever allow anyone or or anything to distract you from who your real enemy is, and we all know. You know, because the the rules of war, you know, and 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 a, and, a, and a lot of people wouldn't 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 even agree with you on the fact that we are at war right now. So getting people to agree with you is not something that's going to be commonplace. And we all know the number one rule of war is deception. 
And number two is poison the water supply, which we can talk about that some other time. And number three is coming up with what we're dealing with right now, infrastructure, blowing up the bridges, creating the 15-minute cities, allowing people not to get in or get out. And for people that study the engagements of war or, or even understand the fact that we are at war, you know, you you stay focused, brother. You stay fuck. You you stay uh, focused, and we got to remember that the truth is written everywhere. It's just not written in books. It's written in the sky. It's written. It's written in the stone. You know, Earth Wind and Fire did a song years ago, written in the stone. So no matter how much people try to distract, decept, and and try to hide hide truth. It's impossible. It's a it's a it's a it's an impossible feat when I can just look up in the sky. So you stay focused. And, and universal law says know your enemy. We get distracted by all these other uh, trivial things, but I know who my enemy is. You know, I know who I know who robbed, raped, and lynched my people and, 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 and continue to do the same thing. And not just my people, but the whole whole of God's creation. The whole of God's creation is in mourning, you know, because we all have the same enemy. We all have the, and I just wanted to give you my little two cents. I'll land my plane right there. I appreciate that, brother. And you got everything out you needed to say. And since that was a comment and not a question, I'm going to let that stand on what it stands on. Appreciate you, bro, okay, for calling thanks. in and listening and supporting the Bro Diallo Show. Thanks. All right. All right. D.C. Oh, I'm, I'm headed to D.C. sometime this year. I don't know when. I don't know where I'm going to be. Oh, next week I'll be in Atlanta for a conference there. There's actually two conferences. My wife will be splitting up. We'll be going. I'll be going one way. She'll be going the other. So I'll be. We'll be in D.C. Oh, one more call. Thanks for calling in the Bro Diallo Show. You're live on the air. State your name and/or alias and where you're calling from. From. Hello. Yes. Oh my God, Bro Diallo, you you do not know how much of a big fan I am of you, and um. I've been watching your show for like two years now. Um, I saw your show from Big Bad Cootsie, because I follow him as well. And I sent your wife messages on Instagram, but she didn't reply. But anyways, um, I am the one who is always, who has the name, the Allen number one fan. As you can see, I'm stammering because I'm so surprised. Um, I want to ask two questions. Are you still there? Yes, yes, I'm here. I'm listening. Hello? Yes, I'm here. I'm so starstruck. I'm sorry. Um, I sent two questions. I would like you like you to recommend books on pornography because I have arguments with my girlfriend on it, and as well as I would like to know if you think would ever win because how brutal and atrocious um, white hegemony is. So two books, a book on white hegemony and a text on. No, no, no I said books on sex work uh -huh. or your take on it. And uh -huh. um, 
if you think would ever win this war because how brutal they are, you know, mm. in terms of like military bases in Africa and so forth. Okay, uh, on sex work, and what's the second one again? White hegemony. Do you think we can win? And oh. we have all the military and all the finances and yeah, pathology as well to do evil and stuff. Oh, can we win? Okay, I'm, I'm going to answer off the air. I appreciate you calling and support. Where are you calling from? I didn't catch that. Um, I'm currently in Korea. Okay, Korea. Oh, I would have said across the pond. Okay, I'm going to answer off the air. Please call back and in the future. Not, you, do not you do not respond to my messages. so tiring, so painful as well. You never, ever respond to my messages. Where do you send the messages? You, my name is literally Diallo's number one fan. You always keep my stuff over there. I have to see. I'll I'll go review. I'll try to get on top of that because I do recall seeing that and I do recall responding actually. But I have you, a, you, a, you never. All right. Well, we'll try to remedy that in the future. I appreciate you calling in. All right. Thank you. All right. Okay. Okay. One more call. Okay, you're our final caller for the Bro Diallo Show. Please keep it short and sweet. We're over time. State your name or alias and where you're calling from. My name is C.A. calling from Manhattan. Uh-huh. So I, I put in the chat my question, so I don't know if you could take a look at it to see what it is, but basically my question was I was curious as to how you define the term reactionary and the context in which you use it, and then also can you state how you or your approach does not you know, fall under the label of a reactionary. So I'll uh, hang up and let you answer. Okay, that'll be our final uh, call. Wow. Okay, some good questions. First, let me speak to the brother where he talked about uh, um, pornography and sex work. Well, there's this book that called uh, The Secret Museum. And it's basically the history of pornography. And I think I'll do a book review of that. Um, humans, uh, people are primates, and humans have been creating and consuming pornography since um, since uh, we first have our earliest drawings. I mean, in, in, in the work camps of the, the Egyptian pyramids, the people who worked on the, the Egyptian pyramids. Well, and but then again, they define because in, in, in some cultures, they think any representation of the body of the nude body is pornography or just the nude, the, the feminine figure is a sexual thing. So a lot of conservatives. So about there's been an ongoing debate about what actually pornography can be defined as, because really, I don't really call any like presentation of the human body sexual. So but as far as pornography is pornography, like many other things in sex work is corrupted by capitalism and the capitalist consumer and the capitalist promotion. So whether it's the food system, whether it is the, the, the entertainment sector, whether it is childcare and healthcare, humans have made great advancements and created great works of arts and, and great ways of stimulating and fulfilling ourselves. But then when you insert the capitalist extraction model and the capitalist mass production and capitalist mass marketing, it, it inherently corrupts every human interaction. That's what 
Marx talked about. So I think pornography in itself is a big victim of, of, of the alienation, hyper-exploitation for profit, and, and embedded in, 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 in pornography are racial stereotypes, racism, and everything from Holocaust pornography to plantation pornography. So there are a lot of problems with porn and the porn industry, but it's not because of the sex and humans, people getting off on what they're getting off on. It's the exploitation that is the byproduct of capitalism, systems of hierarchy and exploitation, people being forced into sex work, or um, whether it's uh, being trafficked or because they don't have any other viable means to support themselves. All those things are pro problematic, you know. And I do see that there are movements out there for where sex workers are unionizing, sex workers are creating, you know, culturally relevant and culturally su sustainable artwork. But there is an interesting uh, text that I have that I should, I've read it quite some time ago. I should dig it out because I've had this book for years about the history of pornography that talks about it. it's going to be here. <laughs> You're never going to escape it. Uh, so anything that's going to be around it's best to figure out how you're going to do it in the most humane and just way possible. Um, and as far as can we win? Well, the alternative to winning is extinction. So we will either win. It's very possible to win. The system is very vulnerable. It is very, very vulnerable system. So the system is a lot weaker, but um, there is a chance we could win. Uh, there's a chance we can win, but um, it's not. It looks bleak, but if we look at it from in our isolated within our time against the the systems of oppression and white hegemony, if we look at it in in isolation, it looks bleak. But if you stretch this era of history across the the totality of human interactions, this actually white domination, hegemony, and capitalism are actually detours. Human trajectory and human uh, development has pointed towards high levels of cooperation, sharing, and becoming less violent, more peaceful, and, and more humane as we advance, as we become more intelligent. So this deviation from, the, from our natural trajectory towards a more humane systems, humanity and peace and nonviolence and, and cooperation and sharing are a natural state. This system of competition and exploitation is unnatural and forced. So if humans were allowed to just develop naturally, we would be, so I do think it's inevitable that we win. The only way that we don't win is if these oppressive forces nuke the planet or emit so much carbon that the the planet becomes a lifeless dry desert because of global warming and carbon emissions so the only option is we're either going to win or we're going to go extinct and those are really bad options and the sooner we can get more people to understand this i think the more people will win over to our side and the final question where the brother asks, what is a reactionary? A reactionary is basically someone when there is an upheaval or a disruption in society. The reactionary seeks to return in order that their solution to society-wide problems is to return to the status quo. The reactionary is a person who opposes changes, fundamental or radical change in society.
So if you have a system of slavery and the slave starts to revolt, the reactionary will say, y'all out here hacking up white folks with machetes. Y'all need to stop that. We need to just uh, uh, pick our cotton and, 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 and act like we got some sense. And it was pretty obvious that the black reactionaries of that time, so, so the black reactionaries of that time, the Uncle Toms, the House Negroes were very obvious. In this time of, of uh, post-Reconstruction, post-Civil Rights era, when they say, well, black people out here wearing bonnets and we need to put the black father back in the black home. We need black people to have dignity and pull your pants up. These are reactionary points of views, not because you oppose or for bonnets or you oppose or for sagging pants. It is reactionary because when they see people trying to lash out instead of enforcing and energizing that rebellion, they seek to quell rebellion. And a lot of times now where Khalid Muhammad, before he died, warned us about this. There was a time where the Uncle Toms were, were anti-black on the surface, where the Uncle Toms would say, y'all, I don't like black people. Black people don't know how to act, this and that. But he said the new Negro, where now the Uncle Toms, they are at Kwanzaa. They travel to Africa, like when, when Steve Harvey went to, 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 the, to the slave forts on the co west coast of Africa with his Kinty cough. And, and so now the, the, the black sellouts, the black reactionaries are Afrocentric. They have black rhetoric and they talk like Ice Cube. He's a Zionist. A militant, vicious, bloodthirsty, pro-Zionist, pro-Palestinian genocide, Ice Cube. But he's the biggest, baddest black man in the world. So a reactionary is an individual who lashes out in favor of the status quo. So they look like rebels on the surface because they're loud, they're boisterous, they're forceful. But when you look beneath all that rhetoric, all that black power fist, all that rhetoric, all that African garb and African aesthetic, when you look beneath what they are calling for is a return to the status quo. Put the women back in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. Put the man back on the rail line. Put the man back in the industry and make the man be the breadwinner. When you look at what they're calling for, it is a return to the very oppressive thing that the, that the rebellion is seeking to get. The reason I am not a reactionary is because I have a radical critique, meaning that when I identify a problem, I don't look at the symptoms or the surface. I look at the core and I seek to upend power relationships. I seek to upend institutions, oppressive institutions. I seek to counter, to go against the status quo. And I am in a constant state of critique, analysis, dissection. You'll find also with reactionaries, they lock in on the ideology and they stay there. Like, this is what I believe and that's that. And if you criticize it, you will sell out. You a coon. Where I'm not locking in, I am a revolutionary pan-Africanist. But within that, that is just a strategy and a tactic. That is an ideology and an agenda. And I think that everyone should critique it. I think it should be under constant review, under constant, under the biggest magnifying glass. Or I think leaders, I think being a black leader should be one of the hardest jobs to get and the easiest jobs to lose.
So all that to say a reactionary is a person who claims they're going against the system, but they're really advocating on the core of what they advocate for is a return to the status quo, a return to where we're trying to get away from. Whereas a revolutionary seeks to move away and upend in the most simplest terms. But there are tomes and tomes and books and books. And especially if you're a political science student, you know that, that this is a debate that's been going on since the, the scrolls, since before the printing press, <laughs> when people were writing out their philosophies on scrolls. But anyway, I appreciate everyone for listening. Sorry for going over time. I will see y'all. Um, um, when's the next bro? I'll see y'all Monday. And then I'll be in uh, for the next, uh, I'll see y'all this Friday for the Earn Your Liberation show. And I will be for the next radical, rational radical show with, with my partner Skip Coon. I'll be, I have to figure out a way to broadcast from Atlanta because I'll be in Atlanta. I asked him to come across to Atlanta, but he ain't. He want to stay in Mississippi for God knows why. But anyway, I appreciate y'all. Uh, support the Bro Diallo show. Like, share, subscribe. Become a, uh, shout out to, to, uh, the Generous Donations, RBG Street Scholar, um, AED, uh, Su Kim, thank you very much for, for the generous contributions uh, helping to sustain the show. And I will see everyone very soon. Um, and shout out to Atlanta. I'm looking forward to, to, to Atlanta next week. Peace. And we're going out with Bob Marley Sojase. Mm -hmm.